Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Can We Please Talk podcast. It's available wherever you get your podcast. That's right, Mike. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, YouTube, Downcast. Nick, 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 I just said it's available wherever they get their podcasts. That covers all of it, man. I know, but I kind of like listing them all out. It just (laughs) makes it feel like a lot more. It does make it feel like a lot more. All right. Like Nick said, Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, all of that. Check out our show. Give us a follow or subscribe. Leave us a five-star review and comment in the comment section. Check us out on IG, Twitter, TikTok, at Can We Please Talk Podcast. Everybody, welcome back. Another episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. Nicholas, my friend, how are you, sir? Uh, a last update, you said you were getting the vaccine. So tell us how that process was. One down, second one's in three weeks. It went well. Um, shout out to Rite Aid, man. We It was efficient. You you know, once your, once your name comes up, you, know, you get an appointment, you get there right. 10 minutes before you sign in. The second you take a seat, they just hit you, hit you in the arm of your choice, give you a card, say three weeks to the day or three weeks to the time. Come on right. back. There was no discussion rescheduled. I'm not messing with that. Right, right. Uh, yeah. So on Good Friday, I'm going back for my second shot. That's awesome, man. Um, really well to hear. I mean, the process sounds pretty seamless there. And like like we've been talking about over these last couple of weeks, we so much with the vaccine news. We're going to be doing an episode actually in the coming days. Uh, we're going to have uh, a correspondent joining us to discuss everything that's going on, not only with the Biden administration, but the vaccine rollout plan, the COVID relief package. So we're going to do that topic uh, in a couple of episodes. Uh, but tonight's topic, Nick, um, last time you went to a golf course, my friend. 
by accident. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just no, nah, man. I mean, golf from I mean, the extent of golf for me is talking trash to my wife on the mini golf course. Like, I ain't, I ain't you. Like, for everyone who's listening or watching this this show, Mike got a little bit of a little background with the with the great game of uh, g- game of golf. Yeah, no, I, I do have a background, a love, uh, and a passion for the single digit handicap for those people watching, but um, or listening. Um, but tonight, don't shake your head, Nick. We're hashtag be, flex. Hashtag golf flex. Yeah, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna be talking with um, one of my favorite people. I worked with her over at Golf Digest and Golf TV. Um, she's a producer host of this series on the T. She's a contributor for Golf Digest for a long time. Her father is one of the legendary golf coaches in the game, David Ledbetter. And that is none other than his fantastic daughter, Hallie Ledbetter. Um, you know, Hallie's a perfect example of somebody that got a golf scholarship. She won a national championship at Rollins College, um, uh, where her team won the D2 championship years ago. And she's continued on the path uh, in the sport of women's golf, promoting the game, um, promoting inclusion in the game. And the other thing that that interests me was there are some societal issues that Hallie, with her voice and her social media following, has taken to to speak out about. And we were so excited. I reached out to her to see if we can have her on the show tonight for a couple of reasons, uh, just like what I mentioned, but also um, she's going to teach Nick uh, how to swing a golf club potentially. So we'll see if we can get Nick's golf game in, in any direction. But um, Nick, you've, you've had a chance. I've sent you some stuff, uh, recent work of Hallie's and stuff like that. And obviously you're raising uh, little girls as am I um, your thoughts on not only the sport, but uh, getting women involved in the sport of golf. Yeah, it's crucial. I, the golf world's about to turn its attention back to Augusta, Georgia in a couple of weeks. We, we have the Masters coming up. And even for a golf neophyte like me, obviously, we were very familiar with that course, the history of the course, which is important to emphasize, right. but the importance of that tournament. Uh, but as it relates to the women's game, you know, we've go back a couple of years ago, we think of the rise of Michelle Wee. Um, you know, we think of, you know, women golfers coming more on the scene. And I think what Hallie you know, speaks to is, is the opportunity, you know, this is a sport that we're seeing golf scholarships offered, but not nearly as many as it can be. I think right. Mike, that's a stat you share with me. That's what they, that's something we're going to talk about more with her, but it's a great opportunity. Like any sport, you know, where is the space for women to enter that playing field? And in golf, it's been there, but what we're going to learn tonight is what is the opportunity for the, for the game to further embrace women to really live out that opportunity for regardless of gender to be able to participate and have a fantastic time out on out on the greens no you're right um hallie um one of the stats that you were talking about nick was that 20 percent of of women's golf scholarships are unused in this country um and i remember speaking with a former golf high school coach when i was about to have my daughter and he's like get them into golf man because that is one entry point to get them a scholarship into this sport um the other things that that fascinate me about hallie is you know growing up in the shadows of a legendary uh golf figure like her father who's an instructor and as he has coached some you know amazing professionals sir nick faldo uh, just as an example and so was the game always it was always in the backdrop for her but how much of it was it emphasized was any of these points of you know you can play it because you can get to this level and get a scholarship and you know and and further your education and and play the sport that you you know that you love that your father loves or was it something that she just didn't want to play but, you know, got, got into it because of who her father was, you know, as, as this legendary coach. And then 
like I mentioned, there's, a, there's other issues that we're going to touch with her on because she recently posted something on Instagram about her, her battle with anorexia uh, when she was an adolescent. And so I saw that and it, it kind of moved me, you know, because, you know, when you become a parent, all of a sudden things start to shift for you, right? And some of the things that your parents looked out for you, you didn't notice when you were a kid. And so seeing something like that and, and raising a little one uh, kind of struck a nerve with me. And I wanted to have her on tonight to really talk about that and, and further expand the conversation. So we're so excited that Hallie's going to be joining us tonight. Nick, today's episode before we get going here is presented by the Skin Store for over 20 years. The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skincare, hair care, and beauty products. There are no two people more qualified to talk about skincare and hair care than you and I, my friend. Two bald guys. You know it. We're going to tell them about hair care and skincare products. Let's do this. What do you use over there? You got any skincare products that you use over there? I know I know you got some moisturizers over there. I do. Yeah. No, I've got an awesome facial moisturizer. You know, when I was shaving my head, I needed something for my scalp too. So I was I I even went that far. Like just took care of that. Uh, right. especially in the winter. Like you gotta moisturize, fellas. Sure. It's true. Northeast, you gotta moisturize. Look, with over eight thousand different products from three hundred different brands, the skin store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course your skincare needs. All right. You can find some of your favorite brands up there. Nick, you got any of these brands? I'm gonna, I'm gonna rattle them off here. Elta MD, New Face, Olaplex, and more. All in one place with gifts with every purchase, man. Okay, check this out, Nick. All you gotta do, skinstore.com. All right. At checkout, you enter in the promo code POD and you're gonna get 20% off your next purchase. 20% off? 20% off, my friend. That's not bad. That's we, pretty good. We're out here handing percent off deals. That's all you got to do. 20% off your next purchase. Skinstore.com backslash P-O-D dot L-I-S-T. The Skin Store. Have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Hey, some exclusions may apply. All right, Nick, our guest tonight. I'm so excited to talk to her. Uh, real quick, though, Nick, are you a national champion by any chance? Why are you doing this? I, you know I'm not a national champion. What's wrong with you? My girl listens to the show. Come I, on. I know. Luckily for us, we have one on the show with us. She is a former national champion at Rollins College. She is a producer host at Golf Digest. You can check out all the cool content that she does on golfdigest.com. And that is Hallie Ledbetter. Hallie, Mike Leon, Nick Savary, thank you so much for hopping on with us tonight. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Mike and Nick, excited to be here. Yeah. Hallie, right when we, before we get into the heavy stuff, okay, about everything, um, Tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, our audience may not be familiar with you. Uh, tell us about your upbringing, how you got into the sport of golf. Obviously, your father's a legendary figure in the sport. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, and your interest and what drew you into the sport. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, my dad is, is a golf instructor. And, you know, a lot of times people ask me if, if they don't know that, how long have I been in the, in the golf industry? And I'm 28 years old. So I say 28 years. <laughs> so I've definitely been around it um, my entire life. And when I was younger, I didn't like golf. I wanted nothing to do, do with it. My mom played professionally. Both my brothers were very serious golfers. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. So I rode horses and that was what I did. I was really, really serious about that. And then when I was about 13, 14, um, I was like, you know what, everybody, you know, we get home, we eat dinner, family talking about how they hit it. And I'm like, I want to be part of the conversation. It actually looks kind of fun. So I, uh, you know, I always had a set of clubs, but I started going to the range, I played 18 holes the first time I shot 136 and I was like, oh boy. All right. We got a long way to go. 
<laughs> so um, I started, you know, practicing a lot. I ended up going to a sports academy called IMG, uh, which is actually down where my parents live here now in Sarasota, Bradenton area, because I knew if I wanted to play in college, that I needed to get a lot better. So going there really enabled me to sort of play catch up a little bit. And instead of, you know, maybe having two hours after school at most, when I lived in Orlando, I was able to take like a solid half the day. So I did school half the day, golf half the day, and sort of make up a little bit of that ground that I needed to make up if I wanted to be able to play in college. And then I started having, you know, thoughts of maybe playing professionally. So ended up going to Arkansas, I got a full ride there. So that was, you know, I felt really good about having, you know, earned that in that uh, three year window where I went to IMG. IMG and really worked hard. And then I was there for two years, played on that team. But, you know, ultimately I decided to transfer to go to Rollins College because I just, you know, I just, I loved Arkansas. I'm really glad I went there and I don't regret going at all, but I just, I just needed a little bit more balance. There was, um, you know, my, after my second year, Arkansas, I, I, I really wasn't, I wasn't making the lineup much. We had a really solid team, Gabby Lopez, Emily Tubert, who were like LPGA players were on the team. And I, it was for me, it was like, I had golf or I had nothing there. So I was like, you know what? Um, I decided after my second year at Arkansas that I hated golf. I was like, I worked so hard. I'm not making the lineup. What is the point of all this? But uh, I had signed up for all these amateur events after my, uh, my sophomore year college. And I was like, you know what? I don't really care how I play, but my parents have, you know, been nice enough to sort of pay my pay for my entry fees into these events. Like I got to play, but I honestly, I don't care how I play because, you know, I, I hate golf. So I ended up that summer with the attitude of, I really don't care. Um, winning the Southern amateur, getting to the semifinals, of the Western amateur. And by the end of the summer, I was the 10th ranked amateur in the world. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, Jeez, I was like, talk, wow. <laughs> talk about not caring. And, and then yeah. And so it was kind of a weird, um, thing for me because I was having so much fun and I was like, well, this is, this is, you know, this is crazy. Like, I don't care. I'm not afraid of the results. And this is what I get. Like, this is actually fun. You know, all the hard work and hours and hours that I had put in for the last few years at Arkansas, when I was just so afraid, um, you know, in qualifying to not make the lineup that I never made the lineup because I was so nervous all the time, um, sort of came out and I just was be able to play like fearless golf, which I actually have a tattoo on my arm that says fearless now because I used to um, I used to write it on my wrist before I played golf for that summer because I was like, oh, I don't care. Let's just rip it. <laughs> um, and so then I had to kind of figure out I ended up transferring to go to Rollins, which is a D2 school, but it's the best D2 team in the country. They had they've won. Well, fortunately, I helped win their 13 national championship, which was awesome. But I had to figure out to, you know, how to play fearless golf while still, you know, practicing and caring. And that was like a weird sort of dichotomy that I had to figure out when I went to Rollins. I was like, all right, how do I, you know, spend time after school um, practicing and, you know, hours and hours a day, probably, you know, 90% of my life focusing on golf, but only make it like, 5% of my self-worth <laughs> instead of, you know, oh my God, golf is the only thing that matters. So when I was at Rollins, I started doing uh, the radio, which was huge for me because that's how I kind of figured out like, oh, I really like the media side of things. <laughs> so um, that's when I started doing Rollins and ended up turning pro after we graduated and um, 
you know, played for about five or six months, but ultimately an opportunity opened up at Golf Digest as a social media coordinator. And I was like, I found myself more excited about that opportunity than continuing to, uh, to pursue professional golf. So that was sort of like a hint to me that if that's what I'm feeling, that I'm more excited about, about that opportunity that I probably should go in that direction. So, um, you know, I ended up at golf digest and I was there for, I was there first time around eight months as a social media coordinator. And then, um, I went to work at the PGA tour as a producer and I moved to Jacksonville uh, to their headquarters, actually in Ponte Vedra, excuse me, and never thought in a million years I was going back to golf digest. And then eight months later, I got a call um, asking if I'd come back. <laughs> so, um, and I was just so grateful to, first of all, golf, golf digest being so supportive of me leaving after such a short time in the first place, when I uh, went to go work at the PGA tour. And then once again, the PGA tour being so supportive of me <laughs> jumping ship only eight months later to go back to the place that I just came from. Um, which is funny now because we work very closely with the PGA tour all the time. <laughs> right. It's a joint venture. So, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This whole industry, you know, is, is so small. Um, and so it's really cool. You're like, Oh, I worked with that person. Now they're there. Now they're at this company. And that's just kind of the way that this industry is. But yeah, that was sort of a very long winded explanation of how I got to where I am right now. You mentioned the, the idea of fearless golf and staying yeah. there for a minute. Where did the game become, did you find yourself taking on that fearless persona when the game became fun or did something just click for you that made the game fun and where else just professionally and personally, do you find that fearless is starting to show up for you more? Yeah. So I'd say, I'd say the, the switch for me was just deciding that I didn't care about, about results. Like if I won the tournament, if I lost the tournament, like I wasn't going, I think me saying not caring was really just like another way of me saying that like, whatever happens, I'm going to be fine because no longer am I going to decide, um, you know, I'm not going to, however I feel about myself is not going to depend on golf. So I think that's what me, you know, telling myself that I don't really care. Um, that's what ultimately a few months in, you know, a month or two into that summer, I was like, Oh no, I, I really enjoy this plaque playing competitive golf, but I think it's just, I told myself, I'm just going to have no fear. I'm going to have fun. And that's all I'm going to do. Um, so I think the switch of me saying like, okay, I don't care. And then I was like, oh no, this is actually what's happening. <laughs> um, and yeah, I would say that's actually actually why I got that tattoo to my arm because I realized, um, when I, um, that's how I kind of wanted to live my life that regardless of whatever happens, like I'm just going to be, you know, and whatever decision I make, I'm going to be fearless. And I know that, you know, if it doesn't end up, uh, well, you know, if I, if I, commit fully and I hit it in the water or, you know, for example, like you said, where is it coming up my life now? Like I'm moving to Los Angeles. I don't really know anybody there, but I'm going out there. And ultimately I decided, I was like, you know what, if it doesn't go well, like I'll figure it out. I'll go back to New York. Sure. I may lose some money. You know, it's an expensive journey to move all my stuff out there, get an apartment, get a car, get all this stuff. But ultimately if I never go out there, um, and see what it's like, because I've always wanted to give the West Coast a go, then I'm never going to know. So I think just little things like that, that like whatever happens, ultimately, whatever repercussions are of a certain decision that I'm going to be okay with, I'm going to commit fully and, you know, I'll, I'll be able to figure it out. Ali, you know, you, you touched on something there. Uh, I didn't know your mother, you know, played professionally, 
So you have that as the backdrop. Your father's a famous instructor. Um, but I saw something recently about 20% of NCAA golf scholarships for women are unused. In the interest of full disclosure, Nick and I are both girl dads. Like how can, how can we get our girls into the sport? And, and is something being done at the PGA Tour, LPGA Tour level that is uh, bringing more interest to young females? Yeah, so I think, you know, I think it's just, in terms of things that like dads can do, I think like my, my dad did a really good job of it because I think sometimes people might assume that just because I'm from a golf family that I was sort of like pushed into golf and that could not be further from the case. Like I always had a set of golf clubs. They were there. I saw my family going to have fun. And while I was kind of like late to the party, I think if they would have tried to like push me, I would have been like, uh, uh-uh, I'm not doing it. So I think just making it fun. I, actually was talking to a colleague of mine and they said what they do is like, they'll take their kids to the golf course and they'll only play like two or three holes and they'll see their kids really having fun and they won't let them get tired. They won't let them get to the point where their kids are asking to go home. Like they'll be like, all right, that's it. Let's go. So at that point, they're like, no, 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 we want to continue playing. They're like, no, we don't have time. We got to go home. We got dinner. And so their kids are always like, have that reminder of like, wow, golf is so much fun. Like I really want to get back out to the golf course instead of their parents dragging them to the course and being like, Oh, I don't want to be here. This is so frustrating. So I think just making it fun and, you know, whether it's like certain equipment that is made for kids or making the holes bigger and, or just like putting to throwing the pin on the ground and putting to the pin, trying to hit the pin as opposed to like the little hole, just, I mean, golf is a difficult sport at any age, let alone when you're younger and just trying to figure out how your body moves. So I think one is just making it easier and making it fun. And two, in terms of, you know, trying to get young girls specifically into golf. I think to your point about the scholarships, I don't think a lot of girls know that. And they also think that it's like a guy's sport. So I was, um, I was like on a call the other day with um, some women at um, the company Bloomberg and this, this girl, uh, lady named Sarah Kershey took it upon herself. She was a very passionate golfer. She played junior golf or, and then she got away from the sport for a while. And then now she's using it in her career to do a lot of networking. And she's like, wow, there's such an amazing opportunity. And so many of my female colleagues are, aren't utilizing this incredible tool. And so I think it's just what I suggested to them. And I think it would also go for women that are at really at any age, however young they are, but just being able to like find friends, you know, like if there's like a junior golf clinic, if there, maybe there's some young girls there. And as for these women, I suggested that there were some um, like women's golf groups in their city, like for the ladies or Gruder golf and just sort of making it again, like a fun Thing. So you're not just out there alone because yeah, you do look out there on the driving range and it generally is all guys. So I think being able to find like other females that are around your age, give or take a few years and you guys be able to go through that experience together just makes you feel like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, in this by myself, there are other people and other girls that, you know, we are, we are doing out here together. Yeah, that's, that's really well said, you know, because you guys did an article on Golf Digest about, I think, I believe it was a former LPGA player um, that went undercover, dressed differently, like nine different times for nine different rounds and just the reaction from males. Um, I want to transition to that because um, you recently posted something why I reached out to you uh, about your battle with anorexia. Um, and that's something that, you know, unfortunately in this country, a lot of, you know, y- young adolescents go through. Um, can you tell us a little bit about 
that battle that you had uh, with with anorexia, why you chose to talk about it on IG, uh, why now to bring it up? I know it was there was an awareness uh, dedicated to it uh, a couple of days ago, but talk a little bit about that. And also, um, if you could, was golf a part of that? because of sometimes the dress code for women? Like, was golf any part of that? You know, I would say golf really wasn't um, wasn't a huge part of that. I would say it was more so just like pre- societal pressures on, on women in general. I would say I actually wasn't allowed, at the time, I was sort of like in between horseback riding and golf, and I actually wasn't allowed to do those things. Um, by my, well, my doctor told my parents that I'm not allowed to do those things because it was burning calories and I was not allowed, I would, you know, I wasn't eating, so they didn't want me to do that. But, um, and that was to be, to be honest, that was sort of like the catalyst for me saying, like talking to myself and being like, okay, is this worth it? (laughs) You know, like if I am, you know, if I love horseback riding and I am really getting to this game of golf and I potentially want to, you know, be the best that I can be and I physically cannot do those things. Like, is it worth it to continue this sort of unhealthy behavior that I have? So I think it started when I was about, um, you know, uh, 14, 15, I still remember it was somebody, it was a, a, a boy in my class that said something to me, or it was more like a facial expression. I think I was eating or something. And he like went like this. And it was something in my brain that I'm a very stubborn person. I'm a very like, I'll show you type of person uh, for better or for worse. So I think at that, like I was a chubby kid. I definitely was a chubby kid. Um, but I remember seeing that boy Um, do that. And I was like, okay. So I sort of like put it in my mind that I was going to, you know, become like skinny. So I lost, I think I went from 130 pounds to like 90 pounds in a few months. And it was, it was, it was really tough because I then had to go to like, um, my parents took me first, they didn't really know what to do. So they took me to our pediatrician and the pediatrician sort of threatened to put me in like inpatient therapy. And I, I think I kind of was like, well, I don't want to go there. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So I ended kind of like being like, um, like backing off a little bit, but still sort of going about my ways. And I had to go see like a nutritionist twice a week. And I had to go see, um, I, I saw a therapist twice a week and that's like a lot of, you know, my mom would have to come take me out of school and have to go during lunch breaks and after school. And it was just like such, it was really, really difficult because I remember my nutritionist just telling me, she's like, Hallie, like what you're doing is unhealthy. What you're doing is unhealthy. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't care. <laughs> uh, Cause I just wanted to get skinny and I wanted to prove that boy wrong because I felt if I wanted to be, you know, as a young girl, I wanted guy, you know, I want, you know, how you have crushes in middle school and high school. And I wanted guys to like me. And I thought that I needed to look a certain way for that to be the case. Um, and especially at that age, like, especially as a woman going through puberty, like that is not the thing that you want to be doing for your body. Like you're much better off having a little extra weight on you than being too skinny at that time in your life, because you can stunt your growth, which I did. I mean, they say I didn't do as much damage as I could have done, but I mean, I had to go to an endocrinologist and they showed me the growth charts and I was in like the, you know, the 97th percentile. And all of a sudden I started dropping and I literally, literally remember my friends getting taller than me and me being like, Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe I actually am doing a little bit of damage here. Um, but I would say ultimately for me, what the biggest thing was, 
was those things that I really love to do were all of a sudden being taken, taken away. And I realized like, wow, okay, I, you know, if I want to, you know, really reach my potential and sort of live my life to the fullest, like I can't continue with this. When you shared the story as you did, did you find people just approaching you offline or in different channels saying anything about just gratitude or opening the space for them to, to reflect and start bringing those conversations back to you because you opened the door to just that being vulnerable at where you were. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, um, I've always been pretty open about it. Like I, when I was in college, I would make it a point to share that with my college teammates because you never know what other people are going through. Like just because people look a certain way. I mean, I personally believe that 90 you know, 90% of females, whether they admit it or not, like we all have some sort of like disordered eating habits just because we're constantly just beat over the head with like, you have to be thinking about the way that you look. So it's almost impossible to not just have some sort of weird, like thought around food, always be restricting, always feeling guilty. There's, there's always like a little bit of that, you know, for, for, I mean, and for men too, it, it's crazy. We're all just obsessed with how much, uh, how we look, but so I always try to be open about that with people. I just, I guess I never really shared it on social media and a friend of mine who I've actually never met. And this is like the power of social media, but a girl um, named Erin, who I follow on Twitter shared, um, her story and how she struggled with anorexia. And, um, I was like, it, that sort of inspired me to share mine because I'm such a big believer in, you know, how important visibility is, um, for people to, you know, just be like, oh, wow, there are people like me. There are people who have struggled or are struggling with what, with what I'm dealing with. And then one, you just don't, you don't beat yourself up so much about it anymore because you're like, oh, wow. Okay. Like if that happened to that person, then, you know, it's happening to me, but if they got through it, then I can too. So that's kind of what inspired me was Aaron sharing her story. And then, um, me, I, that's kind of why I decided to do it and told anybody like, Hey, if anybody wants to talk about it, like I'm more than happy to, I remember when I was in college and I did share that with my teammates and none of them were struggling, but they did pass it on to, um, a diver. Um, and this diver and I had never spoken in person, Um, and she was going through a really, really tough time. And one of my teammates gave her my phone number and the diver still would like literally in person would not make eye contact with me, would like walk in the hallway, not make eye contact with me, but she would text me like what she was going through. And I was okay with that. Like I offered to meet her in person, but she wasn't ready for that. And she just wanted to feel like somebody sort of knew what she was, who was knew what she was going through. You know, she could just say like, Hey, I'm having a really tough day today. I'm dealing with this, that, and the other. Um, and you know, I, I tried to help her as much as possible, or at least just, you know, support her. And I'm by no means, like, I didn't try to be a psychologist or anything, but I was like, if you want help, like you should go get help. Because I think for me, I had a nutritionist, I had a psychologist and it took me for a while to actually make the changes myself, but it does really, really help to have a support system. Like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink as you know, that's very, very true. It did take me a while to like actually come around and listen to what they were telling me, but you know, it is really, really important to have those people around you. So when you are ready to make a change, you know, they're there for you and they can help you because there are good days and bad days. I remember when I decided that I wanted to, you know, start living a more healthy life and it was so, so, so difficult to watch, you know, myself 
gain weight and to, um, and, you know, watch those numbers go up in the scale. And while my nutritionist is standing there, like telling me like, good job, Hallie, this is great. This is great. This is great. There's this evil voice in my head being like, this is so scary. This is so scary. I'm getting fat and getting fat and getting fat, which is like, no, you're not like, you're, you're just getting healthy. You're getting to a place where your body can work again. I mean, there were times I was so cold all the time. I bruised super, super easily. I was always tired and in a horrible, horrible mood. I was so mean to my family, but it's because I had no energy. Like I would try to eat under like 450 calories a day. And that was just, you know, and that's what I was obsessed with at all times. So like, I didn't want to talk to anybody about anything. Like that was all I was focused on was getting through the day and like getting below that number, which is just like a horrible, horrible way to live. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was only really until I decided that I was like, okay, I'm ready. I don't want to live like this anymore. And it was difficult, but I think having those people around me to tell me like, you're doing well, this is the direction that you need to be moving. So, cause I, when I did have setbacks, you know, it's important to be able to sort of confide in people and tell them, you know, what you're going through. You know, Hallie, um, in, in the backdrop of that was you posted this on social media. And so we recently had Mike Hill on the former ESPN and Fox sports broadcaster. He said, one of the things he hates about social media is he always gets hit with the stick to sports stuff. Right. And now Mike is and now the lead anchor for a black news channel morning show. So he does get to talk about other things other than sports. Um, but I, I use his example in context because a lot of the times when you're combing through Golf Digest's social media, uh, especially the article about Steph Curry talking about inclusion and diversity in the game, right? Henny Zool, about her experiences on the Ladies European Tour and what she dealt with, you know, as a person of color. Um, is this something that is specific to golf or is it specific to society in terms of, you know, like the cesspool that social media has has really become sometimes? Uh, and, and what do you make of the stick to sports thing when when Golf Digest does want to do a piece about, you know, diversity topics like that? Jay Moynihan's conversation with Harold Varner. Like, what do you think of the stick to sports narrative? Yeah. Um, I think it's like baloney to be fair, because I don't think that you, I don't, I think sports is so intertwined into our culture. Like you, sports, what is just sports, you know, like their athletes are going through things all the time that, you know, need to be talked about, whether it's, you know, it, it, it's any kind of like, discrimination in golf is huge. And like, we need to be more diverse. And for us to just, you know, la dee da hit a white golf ball around, that's, we're not helping anybody, you know? And so it is really frustrating. You, I mean, the people that are saying stick to, stick to sports are generally these older white dudes, you know, that are commenting on our posts. And I will say about social media, just as you mentioned, is accessible. I mean, like, yes, people, even, even to me, like, and, and my dad and whoever, you know, people will say things that are so, so, so horrible. You know, they, they, you can't see their faces necessarily. They have their things on private and they just type away and they don't think the consequences of their words. Um, and I, I mean, the, the other day, somebody said, tweeted my dad and said something really horrible. And the, I just had the thought, like, I, dare you like could you you this person would never in a million years say that to my dad's face like never but it's just the thought that they had and so they're just like oh, i'm just gonna say this because there are no consequences of my actions um so i think that does play a huge huge part but when it comes to like you know things like the steph curry thing and the henny zool thing like i think it's so important for golf to i just tell those stories and 
yes, if, if you look at that, like, unfortunately, that is these people that say these things, this, you know, hyper, hyper conservative um, audience that, you know, golf tends to have. Um, I always just say that, like, you know, Joe Schmo from wherever this, you know, white Trump supporter guy, like, he is not going to unsubscribe from golf digest because we do a diversity piece with Steph Curry. And if he does like, okay, cool. He might be grumpy about it, but like if he subscribes, like good riddance, that's fine. But I think that, you know, people are so nervous of like upsetting this core audience that they don't go there, but they don't realize that like ultimately like a long-term growth plan for not only golf digest, but just the sport in general requires us to evolve and change the perception of golf. I'll never forget. I was at a party maybe like two years ago in New York and, um, this woman, um, it was a very cool, like entertainment industry party with all sorts of diversity. And this person came up to me and like, so what do you do? And I was like, I work, I work in golf. And they're like, golf, that's bougie. And I was like, what? Like, I was like, no, no, no. Like, and I didn't, I totally forgot about this like uppity perception that 99% of the world has about golf. And if we want to, you know, continue to grow the sport, like we have to be willing to maybe piss a few people off if we really want to change it. I mean, you see all these great people like East Side Boys and Roger Steele and and people that are, you know, way more diverse in the golf space that we really need to be supporting. And if people don't like it, like that's fine. They can leave. But but um, I highly first of all, I highly doubt in a million years they're going to hang up their clubs because, you know, Golf Digest is doing the right thing and, you know, telling these stories about diversity. And if they are like, fine, I would, I like to believe that, you know, for every one person that golf digest maybe says we're, I'm unfollowing you because we post, you know, that about the Harold Varner and Jay Monahan thing that 10 more people will see that and be like, Oh, wow. I golf is really doing the work. Like golf is really changing. Maybe I'll give it a try. Maybe I'll go with my friend the next time they invite me to the range. Nick, today's episode of the podcast is presented by Podgo. Nick, funny question. Do you know what Podgo is? <laughs> They're the reason we get paid, man. I'm very familiar with Podgo. <laughs> yeah, we, Podgo, folks, is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters a flat rate for ad space. You always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. All you got to do is apply today to become a member. Uh, Nick, what's the website? Well, give me the URL real quick for the people. Just podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. That's it. Right away, you become a member today. Be sure to add that you heard about this. You heard about Podgo and put in, can we please talk in that section of the application? Totally agree. Uh, they're not going to, I mean, they're going to unfollow, but they're not going to play the sport and they'll be back. So yeah, exactly. So I'm like, all right, we'll see you when we see you. <laughs> like, right, exactly. I'm more excited about like the future and where golf's going than having to appease this audience that is just so unwelcoming and we don't need them. You know, over the past year, and I'm glad you bring it up over the past year, we've seen this reckoning in different spaces, you know, most notably in the NHL and baseball and the reactions to what we'd seen happening in Wisconsin last year, you know, NBA players, um, you know, boycotting and protest and, and the trickle down effect to other sports. And you were just about to dive into this. I'm going to, well, you know, pardon the pun here, but tee up here, I guess, <laughs> but um, we will pardon this, the pun. There it is. Or you just edit it out. There you go. Right, right. <laughs> um, but what is golf's opportunity 
to further bring in that audience. I think that's where that's the space you were just starting to speak to. So just kind of revisiting that, what are some other opportunities for golf to, to embrace these more diverse, these younger audiences and, and start to dispel some of the perceptions that exist out there about the sport. Yeah. You know, I think it was, so like the black lives matter um, movement when it was sort of at its peak a few months ago, I think that golf was maybe like the last sport to say something. And I was like, Ooh, not a great look, <laughs> you know? Okay. Better late than never, but like chop shop. <laughs> and so I think to your point, yeah. Like um, I think golf has a huge opportunity in so many areas in terms of diversity, but we just have to make it more, more welcoming. Like we just need to show people that, um, you know, we need to be showcasing LGBTQ things and we need to be, um, doing more stuff with women and we need to, you know, put on these events. I'd love to see like the PGA tour supporting more LPGA tour events. And I just think that, I know the more that that we can do that, the better. And also something that, you know, I've been, I've been trying to work on is, is, you know, more coverage of different types of people playing golf, whether it's uh, musicians or basketball players or football coaches, like all these different people, I think, um, if you know the saying that like, if you can see it, you can be it. I think a lot of times people think like, oh, well, like there's no place for a person like me in golf because they, again, they only see the older white man. But if you start showcasing, especially, you know, some, a place like golf digest, if we're able to talk to these people that come from all different backgrounds and why they love the game, then, you know, hopefully these people that, you know, maybe feel that golf isn't for them. They're like, oh, I love like insert name of, rapper here and they love golf like that's amazing like oh maybe I, maybe i should try it you know so i think i think that's a really huge opportunity too is like just crossover content and ge- content in general with um with you know celebrities and athletes and all different types of people to just show that golf really is for everyone Hallie, speaking of content you opened the door right there so we know you have a new show that you're producing on golf digest called on the t So tell us a little bit about that show and what it aims to accomplish. Yeah, sure. So we're super excited about it. It's something that I actually was working on pre-COVID and then, you know, COVID just, (laughs) you can't, you can't do much during that time. And even now it's tricky. So obviously going through all the safety precautions, but I started, you know, picking it up again a little bit and it kind of goes, uh, it's aim was sort of to do what we kind of just talked about was give different uh, people in all walks of life that, uh, you know, for, we did our first episode with Macklemore, who picked up golf two years ago, and he has a really interesting story. He was um, on a Thanksgiving trip to Hawaii with his buddies, and his buddies were like, "Hey, do you want to go play golf?" And he's like, "Ooh, uh, okay." So he went uh, to play and like hit the first one out of bounds, hit a house, and then you know continued hitting hitting the ball down the fairway, ended up flushing a shot. And he told me like as soon as he hit that shot, he was like, "I'm in." I'm so in. And he's been playing for two years now, just launched his own golf clothing line. He is probably golf's biggest advocate right now. This man is obsessed. And so I think, you know, telling, telling people stories like Macklemore's story. um, And uh, we did an episode with Reggie Bush, who are just people that like, you're like, wait, they play golf and they love golf. And these people are literally obsessed with golf. So um, that's sort of the point is to sort of bring awareness to, you know, all the different types of people that play golf, because I always found that interesting too. even these people that 
come from so many different backgrounds and I've just kind of reached like the peak of their, um, their, you know, different industries are, um, are love, love golf, which, so one, I wanted to explore what it is about the sport that they all love so much. And then also just sort of showcase the, the incredible array of different types of people that do love the game. Well, Hallie, that sounds great. You got two watchers here on the line with you that will be checking Yay! out that show. <laughs> You can Absolutely. check out all of Hallie's cool content on golfdigest.com. She's a former national champion on like Nick Savary. I may replace Nick Savary with how he's shaking his head. I haven't decided yet. That's um, fair, man. I mean, I get it. <laughs> I mean, you haven't seen her swing. She's got a phenomenal swing. So it's the second time you got me fired, man. Like Perlman a couple of <laughs> yeah, weeks Jeff ago. Jeff Perlman came on and fired mm -hmm. Nick as well. Uh, the famous New York times writer. Um, but Hallie, uh, I thought it was so fascinating because I always thought that you growing up in the shadows of your father and your, and then your mother playing that you loved the sport. So to hear that you didn't even want to play the sport. And I, I just thought that was fascinating. We really appreciate the time that you gave us tonight. Thank you so much for coming on and we really appreciate it. Continued success. Thank you guys so much. And uh, thank you so much for having me. All right. That was Hallie Ledbetter. Like I said, she's a Golf Digest contributor, host, producer. She does it all over there. She's fantastic. Check out all her stuff at GolfDigest.com and on their social handles. Uh, she played collegially, like she mentioned, Arkansas Rollins College, won a national championship. Um, you know, there's a bunch of things there with Hallie, Nick, that you and I wanted to discuss because we talked a lot about the social media rabbit hole, right? Like the the darkness that sometimes social media has. And Hallie was able to share an incredible story about her battle with anorexia, right? Golf Digest does some work around inclusion and diversity in the sport. And then there's usual uh, stick to sports comments or um, I just thought she was fantastic from that angle. And then, you know, her personal story about, you know, I, I always thought that she wanted to play. Her father is a legendary coach. Uh, I would love for him to give me lessons. Forgot to mention that to her. Um, he charges a little bit high, so maybe I can get a discount after this episode. But, um, you know, so you're thinking legendary coach, a, a mother who played professionally, she's gravitated to the sport. Not even the case. And there's so much there because, you know, women's golf, especially at the collegiate level, right now is hurting at the scholarship level. There's not that many, 20% of scholarships are unused. So there's an opportunity there for females to really advance in the sport and use the sport at an you know, to be advantageous and get a scholarship and go to college for free. So what'd you make of Hallie overall and, and some of the topics that she touched on? You know, Hallie's fascinating for, for a few reasons, but you know, the first that comes to mind is she brings a youth to talking about a game that as she pointed out to the perception is, is that it's old and white. But she right. comes on recognizing, you know, from a social media standpoint, golf's opportunity to really just appeal more so to the masses. And, you know, she's very passionate about that. That showed up in her story today. And, you know, our conversation went to a couple of different places, which was which made it awesome. But I think you know, more people like Hallie, I think, have an opportunity to put this sport in a position where they can draw more audiences. Not every sport is committed to recognizing the need for diversity, recognizing um, the realities of Black Lives Matter and other movements like that. And Hallie just came with it today talking about that's where she is. That's the space she operates in. That's what she hopes to bring uh, into the arena of golf and, and how is golf responding to it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with her on the whole stick to sports thing. There's nothing that's more infuriating. Like we mentioned, we had Mike Hill on that, that mentioned something similar. And, you know, 
you know, here's a sport that's trying, right? The commissioner meets with, you know, one of the more prominent uh, African-American players on the tour to have a conversation. You know, it's met with all this negativity, you know, in the comments. So uh, I love what she said about that. Like I said, check out all of Hallie's work online at golfdigest.com or check out the social posts that she posts through uh, Golf Digest. Speaking of content that you can check out online, you can always check out our show at YouTube. Which hit subscribe. Nick's pointing down for the video watchers out there for the audio people you know by now apple spotify google podcast available wherever you get your podcast uh give us a comment leave us a comment please five star review check us out ig tiktok twitter at can we please talk podcast as always i'm mike leon and i'll eventually get to the greens i'm nick severi <laughs> he's not i'm not taking him to the golf course folks we'll see you next time bye <laughs>on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns